Hi everyone, this is Sherry Walling. This week's interview is with Grace Biskey. Grace is a complicated lady, and I had so many things that I wanted to talk to her about. Grace is the mother of two young sons. She is a black woman with an Italian mother who's married to a white guy, raising biracial sons that strangers commonly mistake for Jewish. She's also a sexual abuse survivor. She's a woman of faith. She's a writer and speaker. In her public life, she tackles really tough topics like sex, sexual abuse, healing, racism, sexism, socialization, and of course, fashion. She blogs regularly at gracebiskey.com. She's currently working hard on a memoir that I personally am looking forward to reading. I hope you enjoy this interview. It explores some really important themes like belonging within a family healing, and knowing who we are despite what other people or the culture around us tells us that we should be. And feel free to respond to this interview or any interview in the comments section of our website, parentingreimagine.org, or you can also respond with comments on Facebook. Thanks so much for listening to Parenting Reimagined. This is Parenting Reimagined, a place where the conversation goes beyond what we do as parents, and we take the time to consider what parenting teaches us, how it transforms us, and what being parents means for the landscape of our inner lives. I am Sherry Walling. My name is Grace Bisky. I am married. I've been married today for 13 and a half years. And I have two boys, Ransom, who's almost eight, and Reese, who's almost four, and now we live in Kansas, Michigan. And what do you enjoy most about life as a mom? I think what I enjoy the most is um, probably spending time with them that's active time. When I'm, you know, hanging out with them at the beach or going for a bike ride, um, those kind of things that kind of get them in their element and get them laughing and happy and not throwing tantrums about even things. <laughs> Right. So that's not always true, but, you know, for the most part. Yeah, your kids don't throw tantrums outside, huh? (laughs) Well, when they're occupied and happy doing things they love, there's not as many, I found. Right. Just kind of sitting in the living room like, what do you do? (laughs) And what do you do for your work? Oh, I work for a volunteer um, center in Kalamazoo. So it's called Volunteer Kalamazoo. So basically, connect nonprofits in the area to volunteers and um, do a lot of trainings and consulting and um, things like that to help help nonprofits gain volunteers and, and just work better overall. Oh, neat. Okay. And you also do quite a bit of writing. Yeah, I do. I, that's kind of like my side hustle. <laughs> um, I like to blog. I've been working on a book for a really long time. So I'm in the background trying to get that book finished and proposals written and get it hopefully, you know, get an agent and get it sold. That's exciting. So I came across your work on the blog A Deeper Story when you um well you've written several articles for them, several really great articles, but the one that caught my eye was your open letter to oversharing to the oversharing mamas. It's kind of your reflection on being a parent in the age of social media. And yeah. how you 
choose what you share and what you don't and what that means about what's going on inside of you. Yeah. And I, I guess I just wanted to ask you kind of what inspired you to write this post? Yeah. I think what inspired it was that I was starting to feel pretty guilty about sharing and I was wanting to look into why I was feeling that way. Um, and what, what triggered the guilt was that, um, and I think I shared a little bit about this in the post itself, but I had taken my son to the beach and I just, I really wanted it to be this really wonderful time together. And I was frustrated with him. <laughs> Probably, it's really funny that I say this now that I said that earlier about the beach thing, but he was just not, um, he was just was not listening well and I was frustrated with him. But in the mid, in the middle of all the frustration that I had with him not listening, I had gotten a bunch of pictures and I'd shared them. And that's why I felt guilty is because I felt like, well, this looks like we had a really fun time. <laughs> you have really, all these beautiful pictures, but it was sort of a, sort of yeah. a bummer day. Yeah. I mean, there was, good, there was good parts of it, but there was just, I, I probably got frustrated like once every 20 minutes, which kind of felt like a lot, you know? Yeah. Like, wow. That's a lot more than usual. I would say. So, um, so I think I felt like those pictures were a lie, and then that got me thinking about, well, what, what is, that's what I, why I wanted to write it, because I wanted to kind of explore the idea of, like, what does it mean to share these pictures in the middle of these hard moments? And I think the more I thought about it, the more I felt like, but no, that is the truth. You know, like, he, we do have, we did have a lot of delightful moments and then frustrated moments, and I didn't have the camera out during the frustrated moments, of course, because that's, you know, not what I need to be dealing with right then. But I mm-hmm. wanted to, I wanted to give other moms, I just wanted to give them grace because I think there's a lot, because social media is so big, there's a lot of messages like, you should be doing this with your picture, you should be doing this with your kids, you shouldn't be doing this. And so I wanted to kind of say like, hey, it's okay whether you share or don't. You know, like, let's just not have one more thing to make us feel guilty. And let's not have one more thing to make us feel like we're a bad mom. Hmm. It, it was a neat I think, extension of grace to sort of share what you want, but yet not feel guilty when you look at other people's posts about how beautiful their lives look. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that can be a hard balance. Oh, my gosh. It really is. I think it's one of the hardest things. Almost all my friends say the same thing. My, you know, in real life friends, it's one of the hardest things about social media is this constant need to compare. Yeah. And, like, the, the way you have to talk yourself out of doing that comparing is really hard and tedious. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder if it hasn't changed the way that we parent in some ways. You know, I think 15 years ago, your sphere of comparison was limited to the people on your street or in your church or at your kid's school. But yeah. now you compare yourself to hundreds and thousands of right. other moms around the world. <laughs> Yeah, and living in such different circumstances with such different, you know, accessibility to things. So, yeah, it's really not helpful. It's really not good to do. Hmm. But at the same time, I wanted to offer grace. Like, well, you know, even if you find yourself in this position, don't feel bad because, you know, you're doing the best you can. Yeah. I wonder if there are other ways you think that social media has changed parenting. Um, Yeah, I think, I think, to focus on the positive a little bit, I think it's been um, really a healthy outlet for moms. Um, I find myself, number one, really encouraged by people who post honestly about the struggles they're having or the hardships they're having in parenting. I also find myself trying to do a better job at things I actually do need to do a better job at, you know. Um, but then when I read posts, like, you know, someone will say something, 
some post like, you know, here's how to make Easter more special or whatever, you know, some random thing. You know, a lot of moms out there have the more of the how-to-ish blogs. Um, those actually really helped me because I'm, I'm someone who didn't grow up with, I didn't grow up with almost any traditions. Um, my mom was like full-time working outside of the home, you know, juggling me in multiple childcare and things like that. So I just didn't have a lot of, um, activities, you know, the things that kind of like some of my friends, I was, I was in a private school. Some of my friends, they, the things that they were privy to, I just didn't get. And I've, I've found in my own parenting, like, I kind of miss that. I would like to know how to do that. I don't have anyone to ask. Um, hmm. And so I've actually looked to blogs and, and taken a lot of those ideas and it's been really good for me. So I think, you know, there's, yes, there's a lot of negative, but on the good side, there's so many great people where you can say, wow, these are great women. And I want to, I want to do things like they're doing because they're healthy. Not to compare, but just because it's, it's good and healthy activities. And, and things like traditions are great things for kids. And I want to incorporate that into my life. And it's okay to not have all the ideas. It's okay to not know yeah. everything. Yeah, 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 that too. Yeah, and even and even then I feel like because I've been pretty honest that I often feel like a bad mom, I beat myself up a lot about parenting. Um, you know, I've had a lot of people kind of comment and send me emails and Facebook messages and say like, Hey, your kids are you, they know you love them. You're doing all right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> kind of like just offering an extension of grace too for when, for the, for the mom who's beating herself up. Hmm. And you can get that feedback too when people have a little insight into your life. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely have got it. My mother-in-law is often one who when I, when I post something about, you know, something I feel bad about, we'll follow up right away. Like, hey, you're doing great. Don't get discouraged. <laughs> Which is really, really sweet of her. Yeah. So on your blog and in some of your writing, you've been pretty open about your own difficult history as a sexual abuse survivor. So there's a lot about you and your life that you've shared in the public sphere and I guess I wonder what it's been like to talk about some of those experiences publicly. You know, in general, it's been very, very good. I started sharing my story when I was pretty young, actually. Um, when I first came to know the Lord, I was 19. And um, my high school asked me to come in and, and talk about talk about it. And it was my old high school, I'm sorry. Now, first I was like, why would you want to hear from me? <laughs> but that led me on this journey of um, talking to different youth groups who were like, oh, here's a young, pretty young person who, you know, has, has, has this story and would love to hear it. So I started giving testimonies, and that just led to more and more opportunities. And so um, I see how in that it was very healing for me to realize I had a voice and people wanted to hear from me. And and then I've, I've been through lots and lots of counseling over the years, so I've um, just continued to explore what it means to really heal from um, from the effects of the abuse. Um, I think the biggest thing that has been just really healing for me is just being able to pour back into other women who've come forward, you know, after I've given a talk or a seminar and I'm just had told me their whole story and had these wonderful conversations. And I mean, you know, that's kind of how it works. Like the more you give to other people, the more you realize how much you're getting. Um, mm. And hearing other women's story and realizing like, I haven't had it the worst, you know, like you, I think when people go through some sort of trauma, it's easy to think, well, I'm, I'm the only one suffering this way or I, 
this is my whole life is the worst life that's ever been lived, you know, <laughs> those kind of things, you know, in your worst moments. But having all of these women over the years, I've been in constant contact with women who've been abused over the years, and it's been so humbling to see, well, number one, like the, the amount of healing and things, the resources that I've had, I've been very privileged, I feel like, um, in that, but also being able to share it and have the gift of giving back. So it's been a good experience overall. I really don't mm-hmm. even have anything negative to say about sharing openly because I, I haven't had very many negative experiences around that at all. It's been, good. It's been a real gift. And there's quite a community of women. I mean, depending on which stats you look at, it's one in four is usually where it lands. One in four to one in mm-hmm. six women has had some kind of sexual abuse or assault during their lifetime. And so I, I just as another outsider, just it's so neat to hear about people who are who have had good experiences sharing their story and who are willing to share their story because I think there's a lot of women who and men who need to hear about healing and about um, having walked through those experiences. But how do you think your experience um, has shaped you as a mother? This is an interesting question. I think I think it's definitely made me a little bit more protective, <laughs> which is, um, you know, probably understandable, I'm guessing. Um, I think also it's, um, it's made me very prayerful. I think I, I, I've pretty consistently prayed for protection for them against any ty- type of abuse um, and molestation, you know, just, I've just been very specific in my prayers, which maybe I wouldn't be if if I hadn't went, went through it myself. Um, my boys are a little bit young to have conversations about this in particular, so they don't know. I haven't told them about this yet. Um, mm-hmm. But when they're older, I definitely want to have the conversation with them. With them. Um, and when they're a little bit older and we start the sex talks, because we haven't, we've, we've given the over, the very, very, very brief overview <laughs> to our son who is just now in second grade. But, you know, nothing, nothing specific or anything about abuse or rape yet. So, but when we do have those talks with them, um, you know, I think, I think it's going to be pretty ongoing. I think it's going to be ongoing about, you know, how they treat women, um, how they see women, uh, just, I, I think they're probably at some point going to be like, all right, mom, enough is enough. But, but I think <laughs> a lot of that is, you know, going to, going to be in our future just because of what I've been through. And, and, and I'm really sad to have to tell them one day that, you know, it's their grandpa that did this, but because right now my son is just, he knows he has a grandpa in heaven and from what he knows, he loves him and he doesn't know any ways that he's hurt me. So I think that mm-hmm. will be a heartbreaking conversation someday. But yeah, but anyway, to answer your question, I think I think there's a lot more conversations that are going to happen, a lot more prayers yeah. that are happening. Are those are those difficult moments to hear your son kind of or wistful or positive about your father, but not know this real story? I mean, is it hard for you to hear your son love him or or think about him? It hasn't been really. I I think it's. The anticipation of the sad conversation does make me sad, but for the most part, I have been really happy that he's, um, well, I guess a couple things. One is that he's identified like, oh, I have a grandfather in heaven and I'm excited to meet him one day, which, which, you know, is a very hopeful thought. <laughs> um, and, and I don't, I mean, that's saying a lot too, because I don't know if my, my dad 
really was a man of faith or not. I really am very confused about that. But um, but I also think it's it's good for me to hear him identify with my side of the family, just because my husband and I, uh, my son, well, I'm you know biracial, African American. My father's African American, and my husband is white. So I feel like I'm I'm happy that he kind of knows. Like I have a black grandfather, and and you know from what he knows, I love him, and I think. I wish there was more to that heritage that I could fill out. I wish he had more communication with my other black family members, but he doesn't. So, so it hasn't been too hard in that way because I've wanted him to connect somehow. Um, again, I do think, I think it's going to be sad, but, but I am yeah. happy for the connection he has now. Yeah. Clearly your, your faith is a core part of you and has been something that you've written a lot about and, I guess I'm wondering if motherhood has shaped your faith or your view of God. I think that it's um, it's added to it. I think there's ways that I've uh, really grown in my faith, in part because I think having kids is a faith experience, right? You know, you're just kind of crazy, like, oh, my gosh, there are these people in this world I love and something could happen to them and, you know, I just want to hide. Because <laughs> it's yeah. so much uh, an experience of... Uh, an extension of yourself outside of your body, which is scary and exhilarating all at the same time. So I think it has increased my faith in that way. Um, I wonder, this is, I think this is a little bit unexplored for me in some ways. Um, I've wondered if in the future it's going to affect me more as I see kind of the relationship with my boys and their dad, just knowing that my relationship with my dad was broken. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of people say that, you know, your relationship to your father is how you come to understand God. And so, so I do wonder if, you know, when they're a little bit older, I think I'm just beginning to experience a little tiny bit of this as they have, um, especially the older one, like really is going through a really intense season of bonding with his dad. So um, so that has actually kind of made me pause for a minute. Like, does he need me? And what does he need me for? And how does he need me? And it's so different, you know, than those early days when they only want mom for everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that has kind of made me more prayerful, um, asking these questions and wondering, like, what my role is. And I think, you know, it's easy to feel just tossed aside, <laughs> you know, like, daddy everything. You know, you're like, what, kid, you don't remember all that I've done for you? <laughs> Hello? Uh, yeah. But then I look back and I'm like, wow, well, my husband could have felt that way for the first three or four years when, you know, my son just always wanted me for everything. So, sure. So anyway, so yeah, that has definitely increased my prayer life, but kind of in a bigger, grander way, it hasn't changed too much. Um, yeah, I do, I do suspect that that will happen, though. Hmm. So race is another topic that you write about a lot, another big topic. Um, and I love this term. You refer to yourself as part of the, the racially insane. <laughs> is, that, is that right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what does that mean to you? Uh, it just means there's always something <laughs> every day. I feel like it's either, you know, it's either my own drama with, you know, just growing up biracial myself, being black and white in a country where I believe black and whites really, you know, are just so divided in so many areas. So having the identity rooted in these two bickering groups is exhausting. <laughs> um, but then, you know, my own hurt that I feel when I experience my own racism or when I see it played out in the, the lives of people I love, 
But then, you know, the racism that I feel when I see, like, for for example, all of the racist tweets that just happened with uh, Nina, I forgot her last name, the woman who just won Miss America. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that's not directed towards me. It's not even directed towards my people group. But I feel angry. And I feel angry and confused. Like, why are people so evil <laughs> about mm-hmm. this? And who, you know, who are these people who are, like, 18 years younger, like, putting these completely racist tweets about this woman who's obviously American. So it's just, so everything, that's just one little example that just happened yesterday. But I think that I'm going every day, there's something that happens and I just feel like, yeah, I'm just generally, you know, racially insane and I'm just going to have to live with that. (laughs) Every day of my life, if I continue to live in America and just be reminded of how hard and crappy things are. And your children along with you share in that, biracial or that sort of racially insane space. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think they have an, an inclination of it yet. Thankfully. Um, my mm-hmm. son has made comments that make me think he's really trying to figure this all out. Um, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, they, they haven't felt, I don't think they felt hurt or angry yet. I know that there's ransom has, we, his whole, he had to do like a whole re- report in first grade on slavery, which I thought was great that they, that they're learning that that young, but, so he was just kind of like, well, this doesn't make any sense, you know, kind of the way that kids respond to that, like, that, well, that's horrible. Why would that go on for so long? And, you know, just hearing his response was really refreshing. You know, it's like, oh, that's really nice. But at the same time, I don't think he identifies as black in any way, which is fine because people don't look at him identifying as black. He's very, you know, he looks, he looks mostly like white. Actually, most people think he's Jewish, which is very interesting, but... <laughs> <laughs> I think he's either Jewish or Latino, so none of what he is actually is. Um, but but he is definitely, but he definitely identifies me that way, and um, and you know has expressed like, well, I'm sorry that people treat black people like you bad, you know. So he doesn't feel like huh. he's part of it. So I'm okay with that, you know. I'm okay with him forming his own identity, and you know, as long as he knows who who his mama is and what his heritage is, I'm good. You know, I'm really good with however he comes to see himself. Are there conversations that you are imagining having more explicitly about racial identity? Oh, my gosh, yes. Like, my my husband and I both have a high value for an education, you you know, like a a really good, solid education about these issues and not not just what the textbooks teach because that's not nearly enough. So, yeah, we've had a lot of conversations with them about like, well, not with the baby, because he just, he doesn't even understand. He doesn't count to 20 yet, so he's not. <laughs> right, he'll get there, he'll get there. <laughs> he'll get there. But with Ransom, our oldest son, we definitely have had conversations about white privilege and um, injustice. Um, we've talked about ways that um, in the past 60 years, things have changed and how people have been redlined. I mean, we're just really trying to give him a much bigger understanding, especially because I believe that he is going to go through the world being perceived as a white man. And I want him to understand, you know, what white privilege is and what his role is in understanding how to deal with that and um, how to be an advocate and a voice for others and how to, you know, start right now looking at everyone else and thinking, I am no better than everyone else, even though everything in the world is telling me that I am better than everyone else. Um, Mm. I think that's a really, really important thing for me. So 
we'll, we'll have a lot of those conversations. We'll continue to have them because we've had a lot of them already, and he still says mm-hmm. things that drive me nuts. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, he is so carrying that white privilege knapsack already. And mm-hmm. even though we've tried to help him understand it, so, oh, so yeah, it's, it's kind of a hard thing. But I, I, yeah. I think it's a good journey to still be on. This is kind of a weird question, maybe, but I'm wondering if there are times when you kind of feel alone in your own family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just kind of realized, like, yeah, that is kind of a hard thing. I, th- You know what's really funny is it's probably not as much racially, although, yes, I do feel that. I feel a little sad about that sometimes. Um, but I think it's more gender-wise, yeah, like, oh, you have the double whammy. Yes. Well, I'm like, I just need to do someone's hair. You know, I would like a Barbie doll right now just to play with. Because <laughs> <laughs> I am feeling like there is a lack of women in this house. So, yes, I do feel that. And I do feel a little bit racially, too. But for the most part, I, I think because I've grown up, you know, I've grown up minority in a majority world. So you kind of learn how to find what you need in other places. And I think that's been true in my home. And while I've kind of been sad, like, oh, I wish I had this at home, I've also never had it at home. Because I've also, I grew up with my white mom and her three white kids who are my siblings, but they had a different father, so they were all white. That's been your experience your whole life. Right, yeah. So it's sad, mm-hmm. but it's no different, if that makes sense. Yeah, something you've had some practice with. I'm just impacted by the fact that you are, you're a trailblazer in, in lots of ways. You are learning how to make a family in ways that you didn't have a family. And you are navigating these really complicated racial um, experiences and just that in-between and being part of both. And in addition to being the strong, leading woman who has lots of opinions and who is articulating those publicly and broadly... Have there been women who have helped you figure out how to put all these pieces together, or have you had to do that pretty much on your own? No, definitely not on my own. I really owe a lot of my my leadership and being mentored to the organization I was working for previously, which is InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Um, I was in campus ministry from the year 2000 to 2012, and I'm really, really thankful for that time because I had... Um, I've always had great supervision. Um, I've had supervisors who've always said, you know, where are you learning? Where are you growing? How are you pursuing your racial identity? You know, what what books, what good books are you reading? What conferences are you going to? You know, I've had supervision that's in, in, always encouraged me. Go to these conferences. Read what you need to read. Go get therapy. You know, <laughs> like, mm. heal, grow, have mentors. Um, InterVarsity is a very, very structured organization that it strongly encourages growth in leadership and in all ways, like 100%, you know, like full, full grown. Like we don't want just people who only know how to do leadership or evangelism. You know, we want you to be a complete, complete leader. Hmm. So I've really benefited from that. And then, um, and I think just on the, along the way, um, in mentoring other people have grown a lot. And then just in the past couple of years, I, I, because I, I left university in the year 2012, and I realized, like, I really need a mentor because outside of the organization, I wasn't getting a, any, you know, I wasn't growing from anywhere else. So I just actually invited someone a year ago, like, hey, would you mentor me? So I now I have kind of my own official mentoring mentor outside of the organization. But, but yeah, I have not done any of that alone. I've 
felt fully supported and being kind of like a strong woman leader, speaker, you know, all of that stuff while I was there. And that's just really carried over into my values, even I'm not working for Ivy anymore. Hmm. So you are, you know, pouring yourself into these little boys and anticipating probably with mixed emotion the day when they are going to be ready to launch and sort of go on their own adventures or go to college or travel or or whatever is next for them. And this sort of a funny question, I'm kind of asking you to reflect backwards, but when you picture your kids, you know, at age 20, meeting new people, how do you hope they talk about you or describe their mother to people that they are meeting um, in their young adult life? I think, first of all, I just want to say, I think this is a really beautiful question. <laughs> I think it's really mm-hmm. useful. Like, if I reflected on it, I was like, wow, this is a great question because it makes you think, well, if I really want this for the future, then I better get going. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. So, anyway, so I just wanted to affirm the question. I don't think it's weird at all. But um, I think, you know, I think a lot of it, it's it's funny. I think this part of it is, yes, I want, to, want them to remember me as, like, someone who followed her dream and, you know, I think worked, you know, for example, worked really hard on my memoir because I really want to share hope with other people. So I want them to see, like, I didn't kind of give up on myself or give up on the things that I really hoped God would use me in, which is continuing to share my story with survivors and um, and that whole aspect. But then there's the whole aspect of, like, how I poured into them, you know, and I really hope they do feel like, wow, I feel really empowered to be a strong man of integrity, you know, so all of the kind of emotional things, like I hope they feel like I gave them the gift of learning to cultivate thankfulness and, you know, who they are in the world, you know, not just kind of like the book smart stuff, because I feel like I could hire a tutor to help them be book smart, you know what I mean? But like actually giving them a value for um, for philanthropy or, you know what I mean? Like human services and volunteering, like those kind of things, I want them to be able to say like, yeah, I did that with my mom. But then the other thing is just like the super traditional stuff. Now, this might seem really weird. It's actually even weird for me. But I really hope that they can say, like, my mom taught me how to iron. And (laughs) my mom taught me how to cook a really good, you know, whatever. Really good pan of lasagna. Like, like there's some, like, really practical things that I feel like I will feel bad for the woman they marry if I don't teach them a few things. Because my husband is, like, trifling in some areas. (laughs) (laughs) trifling and I just feel like I'd like to pass on to my boys you know some like really practical (laughs) traditional value kind of things um so you know when I when I think about my answer I think wow that's really a lot you know like when I when I consider it all like just kind of brainstorming in my head I thought like wow I really have really high hopes for the kind of mom that I've what for them in these short years? You know, I only have ten left with one of with one of them. You know, and I think she's going to be eight next month. So that was kind of sobering. You, know, you have a lot to do. Yeah, that's kind of what I. Th- I mean, I know he's gotten a lot already, but in terms of like life lessons and things like that, I felt like, yeah, I'm slacking. So, mm. so yeah, that's a great question. One to keep. I think one for me to keep reflecting on. Yeah, I think it's. It's. I know it's been important for me with my kids to really try to hold the long view. Mm-hmm. You know, the you're going to be 18 someday, so I have to give you what you need right now so that you're ready yeah. for the world. 
Even yep. though I really would rather you go watch TV and, and don't bother me for 10 minutes, you know, it's like. No, yeah, I, I totally get it. Hmm. It's tough. So we've talked about a lot, and, and those are the the questions that I wanted to ask you, but I wonder if there's anything else that you want to talk about or, or say more about, anything that feels unfinished. Um, no, I mean, I think I'm just, I'm thankful for the opportunity to share with you, and um, I hope it's helpful in some way. Yeah, I think it will be. I, your work is really um, a gift, I think, to those who who follow it, and and for people who are listening who want to figure out what's going on with you, uh, your website is gracebiskey.com. Is that the best place for people to connect with you? Yeah, probably. Um, or if they're just more Facebooky kind of people, um, <laughs> I have a, a, a writer page at Facebook, it, which is basically like, you know, facebook.com backslash gracebiskey. So, okay. so, yeah, they can keep up there because I'm also, I'm kind of one of my next projects or or project that I'm just working on is a um, Gretchen Rubin's happiness project, but I made it kind of my own by calling it the stableness project. <laughs> so yeah, what's that about? I saw that on your blog. Yeah, I um. Well, have you read Gretchen Rubin's book, Hap- uh, The Happiness Project? I haven't read it, but I I'm familiar with it. Well, yeah. So basically, she did kind of like a year long project to with really specific resolutions each month to try to make herself happier, basically. And I realized after I read the book, because I really loved it, she wrote a follow-up book. I also really loved the follow-up book. But I realized I don't need happiness so much as I need stability. (laughs) So I would like to do a stableness project, you know, kind of in the same vein, like using the same system she set up, because it was a really good system. It was efficient. You know, it worked for her. And I thought, I think that could work for me, but I need to focus my goals a little differently. So I decided to do things that would pursue stability for the next year of my life and basically just kind of blog my way through it. I decided it was going to be like a no frills, no complication blog, just that, you know, because I think if I get too caught up, you know, then I take too long and it becomes overwhelming. Yeah. Um, so I'm just kind of occasionally doing a very brief, you know, 400 word post as often as I can on how my stableness project is going. But, you know, I have various resolutions, like this month, my resolutions, I just have like four brief ones, and that's to try to wake up at 6.30 every morning, try to go to bed by 10.30 at night um, to plan my project for the rest of the year. So that's actually part of my resolution. Um, And then to have quiet time with the Lord every morning. But like next month, it will be trying to incorporate some daily daily things into my life. And then one of the months is going to be different actions that I'm going to pursue to have a healthier marriage. And and each month is going to have its own book. To, to kind of, you know, be a resource. So That you're reading and reflecting on. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, so that's kind of one thing, but I've, I'm gonna, I'll am i put the link to those on my Facebook page and things like that. So, okay. So, yeah. Well, wonderful. It sounds like you're, you're busy, but, but in really good ways. Yeah. I, yeah, it's, it is. It's all things that are, that are life-giving and I think will, will be beneficial for the future. So, hmm. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. I, I've enjoyed our conversation. And, oh, yeah, me too. Um, look forward to sharing it with, with our listeners. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for listening to this conversation with Grace Biskey. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you are interested in following Grace's work, you can follow the link on our website to gracebiskey.com. 
I've also posted a couple of links to some of her essays that have appeared on the website A Deeper Story. It's a really great um, storytelling blog, and Grace has done a couple of really incredible pieces on that site. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another interview with another parent who's thinking differently about what it means to nurture young lives. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting Reimagined. If you like what you heard, visit our website, parentingreimagined.org, and sign up for our mailing list. You can also like us on Facebook. Thanks for taking the time to be part of this community of parents who's committed to learning the deeper lessons of parenting.